Hello and welcome to episode 73 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark and coming up on today's episode, I'm going to be joined by Scott Mosier. And you're probably thinking, hang on a minute Mark, he was only on a couple of episodes back. And do you know what? You're right, he was. But it was also my most downloaded episode I've ever released since I've started podcasting. So it was stupid for me not to follow it up with a second part. And that's what I'm here to do today. So like I said, on today's episode you're going to get more of Scott Mosier. Now in true typical Mark and me fashion I like to touch base and talk about the last episode and I was joined by the incredible musician and vocalist William Duval from Alice in Chains and we talked all about his brand new solo album One Alone. That episode was great, I had some great response, so many people were tweeting and facebooking and emailing me saying how much they enjoyed it and since have gone and listened to his debut album and fell in love with it and they've just realised that it's absolutely awesome. And as I said on the last episode, it's easily a contender for my album of the year. But let's talk about today's episode. It doesn't need a big introduction. It's Scott Mosier and he's back for more. So let's get straight to it. So Scott, thanks for coming back for part two of Mark and Me podcast. Hey, how's it going? Obviously, last time we spoke about everything apart from your directing in the brand new film, The Grinch. So I wanted to spend some time today talking more about the animation side of your career. We know you have a great relationship with Kevin Smith and what I wanted to start with is what you learnt from him in the kind of early stages of his career in your own in the way of becoming a director yourself. Um, I mean, you know, it, look, I was really fortunate and I think it was... I was fortunate and then I got to sort of make movies and also observe somebody like Kevin directing movies. You know, he's... His work, you know, watching him work with actors and also watching how his how he worked with actors sort of evolve. You know, I was able to be front and center and, and see. And I give him a lot of credit because he's the one who, you know, it's kind of like he's the one who went through the door first. So yeah. he's the one who had to, you know, be there, be 22 years old, 23 years old and sort of taking on all these responsibilities and, and, and dealing with all that sort of dealing with the actors and the performances and the personalities and and I was dealing with them in the background, but you know, there is a whole art to doing it while you're on set and sort of building a relationship and building a trust with an actor. And and that I got to really watch and observe and absorb through watching him. And, you know, I, I think the other things is, is, um, we're very similar and then we're different. So, you know, I got the benefit of like watching, making movies with him and watching him direct and being able to observe the process and go like, Oh, that seems like that's, I got to sort of cherry pick and say like, Oh, that's great. Like, and then there's other, like I would do that that way. But then there's other things where I'm like, yeah, like I'm a little bit more inclined to do it another way just because of personality. I mean, I think, the idea of directing is like there is no sort of one way to do it. I mean, you know, everybody's kind of doing the same thing, but the process and the means by which you do it, I think you can sort of tailor make to, you know, your personality and your strengths. It's hard to pinpoint it. It's like I was with him for so long. It wasn't like I had one movie. It was like, hey, you can go make one movie with Kevin and I felt this sort of, okay, I got to absorb as much as I could. It was like, we worked for so long together that I think that the benefit of of watching him direct and what I learned from it is like, 
you know, it's immeasurable. I can't really point to exact things because, you know, I got to experience so much of it. And, and, and also, I mean, part of it was like, I got to, I got to, I got to grow up, you know, I was like, I was, you know, we were both young, you know, admittedly, I don't think I was ready at 22 years old. I think I had the desire, but I don't think I had the, well, I'll be, I don't think I had the vision. No. You know, I think that was the big thing. You know, you walk away with Kevin where, you know, like his movies or, or don't like his movies, like his comedy, don't like his comedy, like think whatever you want. It's like he was making the movies he wanted to make. Um, and he was, and he had a specific vision, whether you like it or not. You know, when people have specific visions, it does give, that is when you generally get the, you can get those diverse reactions, you know, because you are putting something in front of people that's distinct. And so, you know, people will sort of react that way. But, you know, watching him sort of, from early on, like he kind of made, (laughs) in a weird way, in a weird way, like when our careers started, I think, I didn't sit down and write this down, but I think I was observing somebody who was like, oh, this is, like, there's stages you have to get to. You have to, you know, you have to find a voice and a vision. Otherwise, it's like, it's not that you can't do the job. It's just that your ability to function in that role is way harder because as you're, as you're answering a endless amount of questions from people, if you don't know what it is, it's like, you're just gonna, you know, you're just gonna talk bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're just gonna like blab on and on about like, or you're just gonna be pulling things out of the air. And, and look, this happens all the time. I mean, people, you know, and I think you can see it in movies where it doesn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily have a voice. But, you know, I think that's a big part of, you know, I learned so much and was given the opportunity to sort of like grow and learn and, and sort of observe things. And, and then, you know, over time I sort of settled into what I settled into a, a, a space of like, Oh, this is the kind of stories I want to tell. And this is what I want to do. You said at 22, you probably weren't ready and you didn't have the, the focus or the, the kind of the experience, you know, you're quite young and, I suppose, did it help seeing the the rise of Kevin's career after Clerks, but also the experience of the roller coaster journey of more rats bombing and stuff? Was that the best way to learn for you and then shape your knowledge that now you know what to expect when things don't go to plan? Yeah, I mean, that's where I was like, it was the best of both worlds, um, which was, uh, you know, I got to, I got to work with Kevin, I got to learn how to make movies and work in the business. You know, I got, you know, I got on the job training. Um, and I, and because I, because clerks sort of taken off part of learning in this business is access. Like, where are you sitting? Um, what do you have access to? What are your experiences? If you're, you know, being a PA is great. It's like, if you get a PA job and that's how you get the business and you take, you take what you can get, I was fortunate where it's like I got to skip all that and then I got to be a producer. So I got to be in the room. I got to be by the monitor. I had access to all the, you know, I had access to different people. And so having that access, being in that position, it just, you know, it, it accelerates your learning curve. 
just because your experiences are you're you're right there you're in situations where you can really if you're paying attention you can absorb a lot yeah i also you know i also worked like crazy and 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 part of that was like part of that process after clerks was just like really being like okay how do you make movies you know because making clerks it wasn't like we didn't know how to make a movie it was like we knew the bare minimum and we executed the bare minimum of of how to get a movie done based on our knowledge and i think that's part of the charm of that movie but after that my big thing was like well how do you do like especially if i'm going to work in the business like now i want to absorb and understand how how you really make movies from front to back and sort of immerse myself in different things like like i I think it was around dogma um where i suddenly was like really got more focused on sound yeah i was like oh like what does everybody do in the mix stage and that was the first movie we went to skywalker and there were some great great people there who were patient and i was like and we kept doing test screenings, so we were there doing scent mixes all the time. And so I just started going, like, well, what's that person do? And what's that person do? What does it mean to be a dialogue editor? Like, what do you really do? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, after Clerks, it was like I was just trying to absorb and understand as much as I could about about the different parts. And and I guess curiosity has always sort of fueled me a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is partially, like, I think animation was a a byproduct of that a sense of like well how do you do it that way like i'm like i wasn't like oh i bet you it's a thousand percent different i was just like i know enough that obviously obviously enough of making live action movies obviously is not so different that i'll walk in there and just be completely confused but i also was like but there has to be you know the way it's broken down and the stages of it are different and and i was just curious and and part of it was like watching, you know, it was like the, you know, the golden age of DVDs where it's just like watching behind the scenes on Toy Story and watching process videos and stuff like that. Um, all that stuff sort of got me really intrigued and interested. It's quite depressing, isn't it now? Because those sort of DVDs, the directors and the, the filmmakers would spend a lot of time on the extras. And I used to love buying like a two disc edition for basically the the extras and now all you get is a trailer or a commentary but it was those behind the scenes documentaries that was worthwhile as the disc itself you know and it they seem to be dying out now you don't get as much knowledge yeah or, it was you like know. I, you know i remember because you know the way i kind of track it is like i remember i had friends who basically built businesses it became such a big thing and then, and then people sort of built businesses around generating that content like that's how big it was for a period of time you know, when the DVD sales um, started really dropping, then, you know, the budgets for those things went in the toilet. And basically, I don't know, and I don't know what it was. I don't know if, I mean, maybe there's statistics on how, you know, generally speaking, the consumer didn't give a shit or the average consumer. I mean, maybe that, maybe they figured out that, you know what? If we put that shit on, or if we don't, it sells the same amount of DVDs. So why spend the money? Yeah, I don't know the reason why, but I definitely, you know, I mean, unless there's, you know, Criterion is obviously still is still maintaining that, and so I think there's, you know, I think there's an audience for it, but maybe what happened is there just wasn't a big enough audience. 
I think the majority of your audience are in a stage where they'll just buy it knowing it's just a film and a trailer and they're absolutely fine with that. And there's probably, for every 10,000 of them, there's one or two Mark and Scots that want to watch the making of and behind the scenes and how the animation was done and no one else really gives a shit, which is just the sad, depressing fact of it. I mean, I, you know, it's like, on one level, um, I've, I've, with, over time, like I, I appreciate the fact that they're, that, I appreciate, and I think it's a, I think coming to coming to an agreement with the fact that you know not every you know people go some people just watch it you know and yeah. enjoy it, and the majority of people do that, and the majority of people are doing that because you know they 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 have lives, they work all the time, they do all kinds of things like ah. Uh, I feel like, and maybe maybe there's a maybe not as much, but I do feel like, as a as somebody who's really into films or sort of you know studying it or et cetera et cetera, I do feel like we are serviced. Maybe not as much as we were um, in the past, but I do think that that for people who want to know more, in general, you know, you have the means to find that stuff out. But I, you know, for to me, like the audience is like. I don't. The fact that a, a bunch of people just watch it and then go home, I think it's good to. I think it's good to come to terms with that, you know. Yeah. And always understand that that like, you know, anytime you make something, it's like, you know, the people who love it or hate it are generally the people who are you know probably more passionate about movies, and so they're more passionate about their their reaction and their their opinions of it. And then I think there's a bunch of people that are just like they'll leave, they'll watch a movie and you'll be like, hey, what'd you think? And they're like, um, yeah, it's, oh, yeah. It's like they don't. <laughs> they're just sort of like it just kind of washed over them. And it's not like I want to talk those people to call me up and tell me that every day about any films I made. Where it's like, oh man, I was so indifferent. Like I don't even know why I watched it. Like you don't want to have that experience, but. I think understanding that, just knowing that, like, look, there's people who love it, there's people who hate it, there's people who just like, there's people who it it just doesn't really enter their it doesn't enter their sort of consciousness at all. That sucks, but it's just like it's a reality. You know, there's nothing you can do. I mean, every movie I've ever, I, I mean, you, can, I don't know who can name a movie that basically like everyone loves it. You know, there's always somebody who hates it. There's always somebody who loves it. And there's always somebody who, like, is just like, meh. Yeah. You know? It's like, I, 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 every single movie. Because there are movies that I'd be like, that's the fucking worst movie in the world. Like, I can't believe that's such a piece of shit. And then you'd be like, if you search, you'd probably find somebody who's, like, got a prize copy. They're like, I love that shit. Like, somebody... You know, or maybe not. Maybe some people wouldn't, but I, I, I feel like weirdly there's an audience for everything. Because you see movies all the time where you just go like, "Who the fuck's watching this shit?" And you're like, "Somebody is." You're talking you know? to so, you're talking to someone that loves Mac and Me, so it's quite a difficult one. Yeah, you love Mac and Me, and it's like <laughs> the biggest and, piece of shit ever. But I love it. Yeah, and I know other people who love it too, and they're attached to it in a way. That I go like, what the fuck? I yeah. was like, I don't know. Like, I just, I just sort of turn it off. But there's like, you know, I, there's movies that I remember like when Death to Smoochie came out. 
it was like this Danny DeVito movie. And I remember going to the theater with Brian Johnson and we were alone. I mean, there was like five people in there. And like, I was like, I loved it. I haven't watched it since. So maybe I'd watch it again and be like, yeah, but I remember playing like, I loved it. And, and then I just remember everybody else going like, what the fuck are you talking about? I like the room. Uh, everyone slags it off, but I like the room. I think it's the way that Tommy Wiseau went for that and trying to followed it through and did everything he could, even though it's shit. I love him, and I think fair play to the guy for doing it. And there's you couldn't you couldn't get Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, J.J. Abrams. No one could recreate that magic in that film. I've not, you know, I'll admit, like I've not seen the room. I I do have like a, a bad movies for whatever reason. Watching bad movies, sort of. I think I used to do it a little bit more when I was younger, but then sort of just exited my body where I. I just am like, I can't, like, there's too many things out there, and I'm like, I can't, for some reason, I can't appreciate it. I'm like, I mean, I guess I could watch that thing and go like, wow, I can't appreciate, maybe I could, maybe I should try, but I, I, I'm very guarded on my, with my time, and so I see things where it's like, oh my god, it's so bad, you have to see it. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, but like, when people come up to me, and if somebody takes a bite of something, and their face looks like they just bit into dog shit, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like oh my god, and then they want you to try it, I'm like, oh, I'll try it, like, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you and could... movies sometimes I get the same way, where I'm like, I don't know, I'm like, I don't necessarily get the, I did a little bit more when I was younger, but now I'm, I've, I, I get kind of guarded against watching things, and I admit, like, I feel bad but I also don't feel bad because I'm like, if somebody's watching a movie that I made and they don't like it and they turn it off, I'm like, it's fine. Like, that's what, like, at a certain point, their movies, they, we get to make choices. But if I start watching it, I used to watch everything and I used to watch it all the way through. I always used to be like, well, I'll get something from it. I'll get something from it. And maybe I just got to the age where I'm like, you know, <clears throat> I've done that so much and I've proved that's not true. <laughs> Yeah, and there's, I suppose for those two hours you spend watching that terrible film that's awful, you could have watched something that's bloody decent and hopefully you got something from. I used to w- watch it over and over again. Like, I remember Kevin and I would always, like, it was always like, what'd you watch? And it was like, oh, I, I'd put on this movie and, like, you know, I watched Fight Club 40 times. And, yeah. Like, there's a list of movies that I'd watch again and again and again and then that was another thing that I just kind of was like I mean maybe twice I watch things um, but maybe a couple movies a year I'll watch again but that second viewing really sort of puts it to bed for me like I don't feel the need to I mean it could be because I've I absorb everything quicker. Um, I do think after 25 years or 30, I guess what I would say is like, I guess 30 years of intensive movie watching and just watching movies all the time. Like I, my pleasure now is more like, well, I'd rather see something new and see what happens. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather throw on something that I'm like, well, even if it's like something where I'm like, I'm not really that interested, but I'm like, why does everybody like this movie? And I'll throw it on and maybe I won't sit through it, but I at least, I at least veer towards starting something new than I do to sort of like rewatch Jaws, which I love Jaws. I think Jaws is amazing, but I, I also am like, 
I don't know how many more times I can watch it. Um, and it's that thing where I'm like, I'm not sure how many more times to watch it because I'm not sure what I'm going to gain from it at that point. Like, yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, I'm more selective about my experience or, or what I what I'm what I want my experience to be making movies and and watching movies has sort of evolved over time. And you're more sacred with your time, aren't you? I think that's the the big point here. You don't want to go and watch Jaws ten times when you could watch nine brand new films that you might switch off, but at least they're brand new experiences, and one of those could become your favorite film. Yeah, and, you know, part of it's probably mortality. Yeah. You know, I'm 48. I'll be 48 in, in a month, and which is, you know, like, look, it's not that old, but... There is a tipping point of aging where you suddenly look at everything and go like, uh, oh, like I'm not like I'm not acute I'm not I'm not gaining like I'm not gaining more life at this point. Like so when I look at something like Jaws, I'm like, I don't know, when I was twenty, like I didn't you know, you thought you never thought about like you don't think about time. You don't think about ever running out of time. And now I'm like and now I do. Now I go like I can't watch this movie. Like I, I can do any. Like I could do anything. I could write my friend a letter. You know, I don't actually need to sit down and watch the same movie for the tenth time. Like I've already squeezed so much joy out of Jaws. Like I, I, it, it's there's only so much I can gain from it. It's funny. Like what I tend to do now more is like you know when you're flipping through things and suddenly there's a something's on TV or something's on a channel and you know, sometimes I'll get engaged. Like Godfather Two was on the other day. I was flipping through, and it was a you know, it was a it was a sort of prelude to the scene where um, where Michael's going to shoot the cop and the yeah the guy in the in the restaurant. It's just such a great scene, and I was just close enough that I just left it on for twenty minutes, and then I then I then I then I sort of moved on from it. So I find myself observing moments. Or even searching them out. So if I'm rewatching things, it's very specific. Where I'm like, oh, I want to rewatch that scene for a specific reason. Versus like, I feel like we used to just watch, or I used to watch movies over and over and over again <clears throat> as a form of like osmosis, where it's like if I just keep blasting these movies into my brain, you know, I'll slowly just start to absorb. I'll absorb more and more material. Which, you know, is probably true on some level. If, if like, um, on iTunes it keeps track of how many times you've listened to a song, if someone kept a track of your life, what would be your most viewed film of all time? More than anything. Um, hmm. I remember watching Fight Club a lot. Yeah. I was really sort of, like, taken by that whole thing. Um, it felt like there was a lot to unpack. I've watched Raiders of the Lost Ark a lot. Yeah. Um, that was a big one when I was growing up. I mean, it's funny, like, everybody, for whatever reason, whenever, uh, everyone, like, every Christmas, um, somehow we end up watching Die Hard. The ultimate Christmas yeah. film, to be fair. Which is the ultimate Christmas movie, but it's also, like, an incredibly well-made movie. It's a really well sort of structured movie with great performances. It's a really good movie, um, but it is also like a—it's a weird Christmas tradition. So I probably watch that a lot. 
trying to think what else. That's probably those are probably the ones that are up there. Nothing leaps out as I go like, oh shit! Like I've watched yeah. that movie like a million times. I mean, I watched watched some of the Star Wars movies probably quite a bit, but not not no, not as much as like Fight Club and stuff like that. So about. 25 minutes ago I wanted to talk to you about animation and we talked about the we talked about the extras on Toy Story which is a good introduction for you and probably got your um your love and that's probably what shaped your your taste for animation but was there stuff before that growing up that you watched was it anime or was it some of the the Studio Ghibli films or was it more of the the Disney classics but what was the thing that kind of gripped you and made your love for animation so strong now um, I was do I was doing an interview for the home video release of Grinch, and I was like, somebody kind of asked me that, and what was weird is like the first exam. I mean, I used to watch Saturday morning cartoons. Yeah, you know, like that was a a big part of growing up, and, and I watched all that stuff. It sort of isn't a pure animated film, but it 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 um it almost occurs to me as one is Tron. Oh, nice. The 80s uh, classic. Yeah, that, uh, the original had a big impact on me. Um, just the sort of, like, it was pretty amazing, the sort of internal, or the world that they built, and what it looked like. I remember that having a big impression on me at the time. And this is when I was, you know, I was pretty young. That was, like, one of the things I remember first, as far as, like, a, a film. And then... I was definitely more live action. Animation was, you know, I was in, I started film, I started going to like school around the time that, that all the the sort of Disney came back alive with The Little Mermaid and, and Beauty and the Beast. And, and I went and saw all those. I was definitely like, um, I, I, I went and started checking those out. I'd seen a lot of the classics, you know, on video and stuff. But I definitely was... I remember seeing Toy Story and being um, pretty excited by by that. I was sort of really like, oh, wow, that's awesome. But the one that really... I would say the one that pushed everything over the edge, the one that definitively made me go like, oh, I want to do this, was The Incredibles. That was like the one where I was at a screening with Kevin somewhere at the Pacific Design Center. I don't know how we got in there. We got invited to something. And I just remember leaving there and going like, oh man, like that's like, I want to do that. I'd liked other animated movies. Like, you know, I enjoyed Finding Nemo and, and you know, I was curious, but like The Incredibles was the one that pushed me over the edge. Because for me, when I saw it, I was like, oh, this is, this has been like a great live action movie. Like it felt a little more, um, it was pushing was pushing to me a little bit out of animation and more into live action or, or, or kind of, it was blurring the line a little bit. I mean, Brad Bird's the one who's just like, you know, animation isn't a genre. It's a, it's, it's just a, a way to tell a story, a way to make a movie. And, and I really agree with that. And I think that he, you know, I think his animated films communicate that, you know, I mean, the Iron Giant, The Incredibles, and then, you know, he made The Incredibles, and then suddenly Ratatouille came out, and that was a big, uh, I, I thought that was an incredible sort of um, movie also, like, so well-crafted, and so well-made, and so well-thought-out, and 
and pushing the boundaries of what a you know what an animated movie is and so that really got me that got me in my headspace like oh, i really want to do this and then i guess i just sort of once i once i sort of found that connection to it i was like look if i could do anything that's what i would do and i remember you know kind of when zach and mary was ending or around there when we were finishing that movie and I told Kevin, uh, you know, I was like, oh, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a break. I was like, I had no idea how I was going to get into it or if I could. It was a smaller business then than it is now. It would be easier to sort of get into the business now. I mean, at that point, it really was like Pixar, DreamWorks. I don't even know if Illumination existed at that point. Um there wasn't as many opportunities there were today. And so, you know, I just sort of, I was also writing, so I was trying a few different things, but I was, you know, I was just putting it out there to the people I knew that it was something that I wanted to pursue and something that I wanted to learn. And I'm friends with Aaron Warner. I befriended Aaron Warner who produced all the Shrek movies uh, just through a mutual friend um, of mine who, her name is Laura Greenlee. She was a line producer on Mallrats. She did every movie Kevin and I did together except for Mallrats. No, except for Chasing Amy and Clerks. Otherwise, she line produced all the movies. So I met Aaron Warner through her, and um, I we became friends and he just sort of understood that, that it was something that I was interested in. And he ended up taking over or, or running a studio in Dallas called real effects. And they had been a vendor. So they'd been, you know, sort of making other people's movies for a long time. And then they decided to make their own movies internally. And the first one the first one was called Turkeys, which became Freebirds. And and Aaron was like, you know, I I think I could really use a, a, a good creative producer on this. Um, it wasn't at the beginning. It was kind of near it was it was like probably three or four months before the movie went into production. And I didn't even totally understand what that meant, you know. Like I was sitting down talking to him and he was like this is where we're at. I kind of knew a little bit about the movie, but he's like, if you come on, you'll, you know, you'll learn everything. It's like baptism by fire because the movie was happening quick. And so I kind of was at the time I was writing and doing some other things and working on some documentaries. And I was like, yeah, this is it. Like I'd talked to my wife and I was like, this is it. Like, this is, not like this is it, but more just like, yeah, I should do it. Like I should take, this is my chance to sort of learn on a job. Kind of like, you know, working with Kevin, like being able to sort of earn a paycheck and, and, and learn all at the same time. And so, so I started Freebirds in 20, I'm terrible with years. I guess it was like seven years ago. So, Maybe it was like 2011. Yeah. And uh, so I did that and I was the creative producer and I, and it was exactly that. It was, the schedule was really hard. 
But, you know, I did sort of get a chance to really... All the people around me were very nice and cool, and I got to kind of learn the whole process. And I was going to go to art school or film school. I was trying to pick between one or the other. Yeah. I, I, I always doodled, and I loved drawing. I, I mean, I kind of left high school. My grades were eh, and then I ended up at a community college down in, in California, and my grades sort of stayed meh. Um, I just... I always had a really hard time engaging in, in, in school. I just classrooms for whatever reason, unless it's like a hyper-focused, um, trade schools are easier for me. Things that are kind of more focused, but I just, I, I never did that well in school. And I did two years of community college to try to get my grades up and they were okay. But then I was really like, and then I was like, Oh, I'm going to go to like a, I need to focus on one thing or another. I think it was just that general education thing where I'm like, it's just like, it was like a, it's like general meetings. Like yeah. nowadays, you know, you have to take general meetings. It's like, I don't know why I just hate that word. Like doing anything that's just like, Oh, you know, it's just a general thing. It's like, I don't know how to, I, like, I guess in my mind I always wants to be like, well, why don't we do something specific? And cause that'll result in something. Cause if you, do something in general it'll get you a sort of general result that's a good point you know and i just try and think now every day i always get people at work and stuff like we'll just have a general chat we'll just have a general catch-up i'm like oh okay <laughs> what's the point yeah <laughs> like what does that mean it's like if you want to it's like just if you want to have a con even if they, even if people would just maybe it's semantics i'm like if you just said like hey let's just have a conversation i'm like okay like that's fine but even then i'm just like i i I like applied learning. I like being able to, and I like stakes. I like when it's just like, um, we have to figure this out or you have to do this or someone's going to, someone's going to be upset or someone's going to lose money or something's going to happen. Like education for me, it was always hard. I was just like, so I get a good grade or a bad grade. I got good grades when I was a kid and then I started to get some mediocre grades and I was like, this sounds terrible. I hope my parents don't listen to it. But I was like, so all that really happens is, like, my parents were unhappy. And I was like, eh. Like, <laughs> it's like, like, it wasn't like their disappointment in me not getting great grades was like, it held water a little bit. And then I just was like, I was like, yeah, like, I guess I couldn't. It wasn't enough to motivate me. And so I just sort of lost. I, I couldn't get really attached to the idea of like getting really good grades. I couldn't stick to it. I just would like sort of, so, but art school and film school was, I just kept going back and forth and back and forth. And, um, and I was actually, I, I was, I was going to these like UCLA extension classes, like night classes about film script writing and stuff like that. I wasn't in the program because my I couldn't get into UCLA because of my grades, but I was like, you know what, I should really focus and I'll try to go to a trade school of either one so I can just do learning. And I was running around campus. I was jog. I used to jog a lot then, and I was running up these stairs that are in the movie Gotcha um, with Anthony Edwards. They're like I remember. Um, they were f featured in that movie. And so I was running up the stairs, and it was nighttime. And when I got to the top of the stairs, 
there was like light. There was like, it was, it was really bright. And, um, when my eyes sort of focused, they were shooting like a film school short or something. And, and, and I'm not that, I'm not that person who has like, Oh my God, it was this huge sign. Um, I know it sounds exactly like that, but, uh, I generally am not that, but it was enough to tip my, I was like, look, it's a good, it's it's as good as reason as any to make a decision, you know? Yeah. Um, And so I ended up going to film school and then I didn't go to art school. And then I always sort of, but I always loved drawing and I loved being around artists. And, and so animation really was, I got exposed to that part of it. I mean, there's amazing painters, digital painters, like, you know, just the amount of artwork you generate trying to figure out and, and form ideas. And, you know, you have to make every single little thing in the movie. Um, it's just incredible, you know, and the storyboard artist. And so I really, really enjoyed that part of the process. And, and um, you know, when you finally see a shot all lit and rendered after years of being, you know, an idea and then a scribble and then et cetera, et cetera is a really powerful experience. It's, um, it takes a long time, but it's, it's pretty incredible when you see a final shot. I mean, and, and, and in a weird way, it has to be. Otherwise who the fuck would do it? <laughs> it takes that long. Um, it's a big part of, of, of what makes, of what makes animation so attractive. Um, you know, it's just when you see it all put together. But anyway, so I, I got on I got on Freebirds and I I just jumped right in and we started making that movie and and what I didn't know um, you know I guess I was old enough and had enough experience that what I didn't know I could I could sort of figure out on my own and anything that was sort of technically outside of my understanding I would either find out or find out you know. Part of it in filmmaking and in life is it's like it's also important to figure out the things where it's like, you know what, like I don't really need to know that. <laughs> like I, I do think that needing like, like there are things where like, people explain things so like, you know what, like I for me to completely understand it would take so long and, and it doesn't and, and you know what, I and even if I did understand it, it wouldn't necessarily change how this movie is going to get made, you know, there's yeah. enough people who understand it. So like, especially technical things where it's like, you get into a room and you go like, you know what? There's five people here who know so much about this stuff and they do it all day long. And I don't know, fuck all. And I'm like, at the end of a year, like I'll never come close to knowing how much they know. And so, you know, I, I, I do think I sort of edit out, the parts where I'm like, look, this is what I think I need to know because I think I can have a real effect. This I could know, but then it's more just for the sake of knowing. Yeah. And I'd rather read a book about, you know, I don't know, something something different than learn every aspect of, of not just animation, but also, you know, just filmmaking. I mean, there's just some parts of it that I think are important and some parts of it I don't. It's like school. And, it's like school, though, isn't it? Like at school, they spent hours in math teaching me about algebra. 
they spent ages teaching me how to speak German. I never fucking use any of that in my life now, and it just seems like I wish I could have filtered it out because I don't use half of it. It's never benefited me. Waste of my time, you know? <laughs> no, I, you know, it's funny. Like, I, I think... I mean, I do... I think it's something that comes with age. I do think that there's an importance to exposure as you're when you're young. It's like I think I think when you're young you should amass experience and I think being exposed to different things that that when you're young like taking German becomes just like an ex- exposure to learning new languages. And, you know, your reaction to it might have been like, fuck, like, I don't care. But, like, somebody next to you is just like, they, they want to become, they, they want to know 10 languages, and and it starts them on some road. I mean, part of what you're doing when you're young, and I only say this in hindsight, is you're kind of like, you know, you're, it's, you know, you're running around just tasting everything and seeing what you like. I think as you get older, you still need to maintain that you know, and try to be open to things. But inside of, once you're inside of that thing, you know, once you're inside of making a movie or like, or like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to remodel my house or I'm going to do this or I'm going to, or I'm going to, you know, travel or whatever. Once you're inside of the thing, that's where I think editor, you know, editing things out is helpful. And, that, and I am older now, and so there are some things that I just edit out where I'm like, I, you know what? I, there's just certain things where I'm like, you know what? I know I'm not going to enjoy that. And so, because I, but I know I'm not going to enjoy it because I've experienced it. Yeah. That's what's really important is just like, you know, don't discount the, those things in the past because they're there for everybody to assess what they enjoy and they don't enjoy. And you end up going like, I mean, it's funny because I was, of course, you know, when you talk about languages, like for years growing up in Canada, I was like, I learned French. And then as soon as I didn't have to take it man- mandatory French anymore, I was like, fuck it, I'm not doing it. And then I ended up taking a job in Paris. And, you know, <laughs> my, res- my response is like, God fucking damn it. Like, I should have, you know, quel foutois. Like, I should have fucking, like, I should have stuck with it because it would benefit me now it's impossible it was impossible for me to know that then but exposing yourself to different things i think is really important and sometimes more than once if you need to but then there is a there is a point as you age where i think i think you're running i I mean it's a thing it's like i'm fucking running out of time so if i've tried something twice and i both time i thought it was balls like i'm not doing it again you know like otherwise i'm just an asshole this whole episode is about not not wasting too much time and doing the same thing too often. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so then when um, so the movie Freebirds and I finished it, it came out. Um, I learned a ton, but I'll admit, like I was, I was semi, I was pretty tired, and so my opinion of continuing animation was um, not a hundred percent. I wasn't like, oh, fuck, yeah, sign me up. I'm going to do it immediately again. I was like, hmm. I, I was like, I, there's lots of parts I loved about it. That's when I really was just like, I really wanted to, I'm like, oh, man, I really would love to be a direct. I was internalizing, like, what am I going to do? Like, I can't keep 
you know, everyone's going to keep offering me producer jobs. And so I was trying to figure out how do I, how do I get myself into a director job? I was trying and, and it wasn't sort of, there was no obvious sort of path to it. And then I was editing for like three, you know, like six months or so. I finished a movie um, that a friend of mine had started called No Escape with Owen. I don't know what it was called overseas, but it was like Owen Wilson, Lake Bell, and Pierce Brosnan. It was like a thriller that was really fun because I'd never worked on one. So it was a really great experience. The, the director and producer of the Dowdle Brothers had a great experience doing that. Um, and then I did a, a documentary on Marvel called Hope to Pop. It was like the first 75 years of Marvel. And that was really fun. And then while I was doing that, like I got an email from Chris Maladonnery, who runs Illumination. And he, uh, Brian Lynch, who um, I had met in New Jersey, he kind of had come in to work on TC Amy and we had stayed in touch and he had been working at illumination for years. He had written hop and then he was in the process of writing minions. And so he passed my name on to Chris Maladonnery. And so then he called me and I ended up meeting him. It was a general meeting. And so of course I was, you know, almost didn't go because of my version general. to them. But I went, and then we started talking about, you know, he ended up bringing up the Grinch. And I was super intrigued, and I really liked him, and, and I liked the studio. And and so then I started as the producer. Um, I was hired to be the producer. And while I was doing that, I ended up co-directing a short for the Sing DVD. Um the movie directed by Garth Jennings that came out a couple a couple years before The Grinch. And so I did that with a, a, a layout artist, a, sort of the head of layout of Sing, a guy named Gilo. And uh, we had a great time. And then, you know, I'd always been sort of upfront with Chris about the fact that I wanted to direct, and that that was my main focus, is to direct features. And then so they made some changes and they pushed the movie a year and Chris wanted to make some changes. And so I, he asked me to move up to being director, which wasn't, which was, it wasn't like a huge leap because as a creative producer on an animated movie, like everybody's different. But for me, it was like being really hands-on and being in the mix and being involved with, with, with everything that's going on and, and and knowing all the major players. So when it did happen, it was, it was, um, it was not, it was, uh, it went pretty seamlessly. And, and I think Chris was able to have a um, sense of what I could do in that role after watching me sort of be the producer for a period of time. Did, did you feel much pressure? Because that's quite a jump. I know you said, the role duties and your your kind of responsibilities in the role weren't too different, but you you're then the director. You're the you're the you know you're you're so much more responsible. It's your name attached to it in a much bigger light. Did you feel like Jesus? I really need to step up now, or were you just comfortable with the transition? Um, I wouldn't say I wasn't overwhelmed by it, but I was 
I was very aware. Um, mostly I was aware of like, this is my opportunity and, and I've worked a long time for it. And so my anxiety wasn't necessarily about the, like how different or huge the difference was between the two jobs. It was more about like, okay, now's my opportunity. There's certain things that are certain things that I have to do that I felt totally comfortable with. And I had enough experience with that didn't really worry me. And then there was, then there was a whole list of things where I was like, I don't have a ton of experience. Um, but you know, so I'm going to have to sort of step up and focus on those things, which is kind of how I looked at it, which is kind of how I looked at it, which is when the transfer, when it, when it happened and I got promoted, I was like, okay, well, what have I been doing that, you know, I have a wealth of experience in, and therefore that's not the thing I really need to focus on, you know, editorial, like I've been an editor, I've sat in edit rooms, like, I didn't sit there and go like, how am I going to be the director in the editing room? I had worked with storyboard artists um, on all the movies. So I kind of wasn't as like, I didn't sort of go like, well, how am I going to communicate with board artists? So there was a list of things where I was like, I know how to do these things and you know, how I focus them might change a bit. Cause now I'm in a position where uh, I'm, I'm the person sort of generating or or it's my job to either come up with the idea or help shape their idea. But there's certain things that I didn't feel intimidated by. And then there was things where I was like, you know, I hadn't worked a lot with actors per se. It's not that I hadn't, but I hadn't just done it a lot. And, um, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch is a super talented, um, very serious um, about his craft actor. And so that was like, and, 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 you know, and then we hired a, a young girl for Cindy Lou who was like, I think she was seven or eight when we started. And so those are things where I was like, okay, the, the, this is where I got to like show up and, and sort of, you know, do the prep and be ready to do it because it, it was, it is a big job. And, and so sitting down and going like, well, what do I know how to do that I can just sort of start jamming on? And what do I sort of not have a lot of experience in and therefore preceding those moments of doing records with actors or other stuff, doing my due diligence and sort of um, doing prep. I was ready to do those things of which I had less experience, but because I prepped myself and, and just sort of, you know, did the work I could at least sort of I was able to sort of bridge the gap and sort of those few initial sessions of recording with actors and stuff you know I had to sort of discover exactly the way um, was best for me to work with each of them and also sort of push myself um, when there are times where I was like Oh, like, well, now you got to be, you know, like with a little girl, I was just like, oh, you have to be way more energetic. <laughs> like, you know, I was like, I know she's a kid and, and, you know, for me to just kind of sit around and sort of talk with my slow drawl and, and, and not, and not sort of bring a more sort of energetic focused 
version of myself to the to the record i knew was a i knew wasn't going to work like i had to sort of look at that and go like well in order to get the performance out of her like i'm going to have to come in there and try to match her energy and try to keep things fun and focused you know so i was i was trying to really focus on the areas that i just didn't have the experience with and by doing that it just didn't necessarily i felt pressure but i didn't feel like oh fuck like what am i gonna do so when it was all done and obviously you spent was it almost six years on this film is that right four what was it like when it was actually all done the blood the sweat everything had gone into it and you were there watching it back and it's your name now as the director you must be so proud of yourself and you don't need to worry about sounding arrogant you must be thrilled that it's such a big release and now it opens the door for you to now go on and hopefully do more and more animation which is what you wanted to do after seeing the incredibles i mean yeah you know i feel i mean what's funny is it it's it's not it's seeing the seeing my name and kind of watching the whole movie together and and you know it's it's a whole lot of you experience a lot of different emotions i mean you know i i feel proud i feel happy I, with every movie I've ever made, even when I'm not the director, I do have that tendency to be like, oh, I wish I could change this. I wish I could change that. Um, so in the freshness of the moment of sort of seeing it all put together, I still was like, oh, I wish I could fix this or fix that. For me, seeing it all, seeing my name up there and seeing everything that's happened is a is a it's a, my reaction was much bigger than just you know having worked on this movie like it had the sort of weight of the last 25 years of sort of this weird circuitous route i took to get here and 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 all the work i did and you know it's funny like i had such a great time producing with kevin and and that was such an amazing experience and i remember I was like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna take off and try to do this. You know, there, of course, was, you know, I was nervous. I was scared. I was like, well, what if this doesn't work out? <laughs> you know, like, I, I'm, it wasn't like I was leaving a, a, a burning building where I'm like, well, fuck, of course I'll be happier not inside of it. Like, I was like, I have a, I have a great career with a great friend making movies, and so... So once I left, I was like, oh, man, am I going to be like five or six years later, like having gotten absolutely nowhere and also in those five or six years missed the opportunity to to have made different movies with Kevin. And, and so, you know, I, so when I saw the movie and it was all there, I was like, you know, there's a lot to unpack for me. It was a lot to sort of, to take in and, and, and how I was feeling was sort of, was, there was a, there was just a lot going on and it took me, it's, you know, it's been like a, you know, and every time I've watched it and had different experiences and gone to the premiere and, and had the movie released out in the theaters, it's like, you know, it's, it's been my sort of reaction to it and how I feel has evolved and because it's, you know, I've reflected on so many things that have come before it and decisions and all the rest of it. So it's been, I feel awesome. Like, I feel great. I'm super happy and 
I'm not content in the way where I'm like I'm done, but I feel like I sort of there there's a sense of of having kind of I'm trying to think of the best it's cause it's not like it's not like, oh I, I I climbed my mountain and I'm done. Like I don't necessarily feel that way. But I feel like I I got to a ridge with a really fucking nice view. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and like and and you know the climb never ends. And there's no sort of destination. It's always just about continuing to climb and, and find that next challenge. But I do like this this moment has been like, you know, sort of I crested this ridge been able to look down at this beautiful valley which which shows how i got there you know which shows the trail or the path to to where i ultimately was so it was a it's been it's been a really impactful and and big moment for a lot of reasons i'm really glad that now you're there the view's so beautiful and you can enjoy it before kind of looking up and thinking where's the next ridge where how far What's the next look going to be? You know, it's, it must be quite a. I wouldn't rush. I'd like to think that you'd sit there and enjoy the view a bit longer. Yeah, and I, I mean, look, I do think it's a conscious thing. You do have to. I remember when the movie was coming out. I was trying to be really conscious about about how I experience it, um, because at that point, like, look, it could be successful. It could not be successful, and so how how you experience that is important and so i was trying to be very sort of like i was trying to manage my anxiety and and just sort of be with it and be like hey like it's going to do what it's going to do and and how i feel about how i've performed and what i've done leading up to this moment is is as important and part of it i'm sure is that i'm you know i'm almost 48 and I've been doing this for 25 years and you know so I'm sure that's important because that that also feeds into it um and yeah I am enjoying it and I think you have and you know I have friends who are at Sundance right now with a movie and I have fr- uh, and I think it's the hardest thing to communicate and the most important thing which is which is you have to if you if you don't sort of if you don't focus on how you experience success and failure, you just never look up, you know? So you get to that ridge with the view and then, yeah, you just keep, if you just keep climbing, you, you never get to experience that, that sense of accomplishment, regardless of, of, you know, sort of regardless of whether it was positive or negative in the sense of how people reacted to the movie or how much money the movie did, like, you still have to, and this is true for all of life, which is we're really, you know, we're generally not creatures that are good at, you know, some people are, some people are really good at thinking everything they do is amazing, <laughs> but I don't think the average person is a little, um, is a little less settled than that. And, and understanding and looking at everything you've done from the point of view of, of what you've done and not like in comparison with everybody else, you know, because if you do get to that point on the ridge, like, and you say like, Oh, there's a view and I'm going to enjoy it. 
but it's like if I don't and I just look up and I see like oh there's there's people climbing higher than me and if you make that your focus which is like oh I gotta try to catch up with them like that to me is is um then you're then you're in a situation where you're you're gonna be miserable all the time because there's always gonna be somebody climbing higher you know I didn't think we'd ever come to that at the end of this interview but um I really like that as an ender that you yeah, we're ma- we're climbing mountains, and we should enjoy the view more, and not keep looking up and trying to chase those people because they're always going to be one step ahead. Yeah, and this, because circumstance, you know, it's like success is is success isn't a zero sum game. It's like there's there's a lot of circumstances involved, and so if somebody's you know way ahead of you, or or you know you'll never catch them, or all those things are. If you make it a reflection of yourself, where it's like, well, it's because they're better, et cetera, et cetera. It could be that they're working harder. You know, there's there's different reasons why people are sort of ahead. It could just be that they're ahead. You know, because they started four years earlier than you, and it's yeah. just like you're never going to close the distance. But when you take, if if you know, if you can figure out to take the time to take a deep breath and look at where you've been and what you've accomplished. That's when you can, it's like taking a little moment of silence to, and I don't care what it is. It's like raising your kids. Like, you know, if you don't ever sort of take a moment of reflection and, and sort of breathe in everything that you've accomplished, if you don't have that moment of reflection, it'll affect, it'll affect how you move forward. Because you might change, you might change how you climb. You know, you might climb slightly in a different direction. You might want to leap off onto a whole other. You know, you know, you might want to move over to a whole other mountain. Like, if you don't sort of take that time to focus, then you're just scurrying about. You know, and and as you get older, it's like I think it's important to to make sure that that the reason and your motivation of why you're doing this stuff is is still there, you know, and still comes from the right place. And that you enjoy and, it. And that you enjoyed the climb because otherwise you're gonna keep looking down thinking, what's the fucking point? Yeah. It's it's you know, and and I say all of this having having been on the having done all versions of it, you know, like I've 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 just kept climbing and not in like I say that because I've done the opposite, you know, and and sort of and not been able to enjoy moments of accomplishment because I was just trying to trying to jump onto the next one, you know, like before the first one's over, you're sort of super focused on on reaching that next plateau or that next sort of viewpoint and. Or, or or the sort of even sicker crazy belief which is like that you're close to the top and that you can actually reach it you know you all those things can sort of mess you up as far as enjoying and experiencing all the hard work the sort of the, the fruits of your labor I reckon we leave it there Scott I think that's spot on excellent So there it is. There's my second part of my interview with Scott Mosier. And for me, I think it even tops the first part. What a great guest. I think overall now you've had nearly three hours of audio from him. So I hope you've all enjoyed it just as much as I have. 
A huge thank you to Scott for giving me all that time. We talked off air for a good hour as well, so I really do appreciate it. And as always, guys, if you want to listen to more of Mark and me, they're all available now on iTunes, they're on Podomatic, and they're also on Spotify. You can go on markandme.com, there's links there to my Twitter, my Instagram, and my Facebook page, and also my Patreon. My Patreon is growing, and I'm making sure that there's some incredible prizes up for grabs to say thank you for all the support. This month, there's signed items, there's movie memorabilia, I'm getting vinyls, I'm getting pop figures, there's absolutely loads of different stuff, so you can go on there and I think it's as little as 40p a month if you want to support me and you can't even get a bag of hula hoops for that and don't even think you can pay someone to feed you them at that price either so yeah it's an absolute bargain to be a patreon for Mark and me thanks again everyone for supporting the podcast I'll be back in a week's time with a huge huge episode it's a great one But you know by now I'll never reveal the guest. You need to stay tuned on social media, see the clues and work it out for yourself. But until then, stay safe and I'll speak to you all soon. (laughs) 